G'day, this is Amanda Rowland from Soil and Human Health. Welcome to podcast number 32, the news from Dan Darrigan. And thanks to the Shire of Dan Darrigan who have sponsored the creation of this podcast. It's part of a grant initiated to encourage whole of landscape approaches to farming in their region. In the late 1970s, a fire started on a Dandarigan farm when a farmer made an unwise decision to run his harvester on a hot December day as an extreme nor'easter was blowing. The fire leapt the fence and the Smith family had to make a quick decision to backburn Mount Misery, a major landmark on their property, to limit the damage to their farm. As soon as the fire passed, the Smiths assessed the damage They saw the danger inherent in heavy rain falling onto barren, fire-scarred slopes. With no impediment to rain tearing down the hill, there was the potential for water to gouge gullies through the surrounding paddocks. They sought advice from the local department of ag and instituted the solution, which was to create long lines of parallel contoured banks about 200 metres apart to slow the flow of water running off the mount's slopes. The thinking was fine but the banks were not high enough to stop unseasonably heavy rain. And sure enough, soon after, a big rain event hit that breached the banks and created gullies that have been eroding ever since. The Dan Darrigan Shire runs from the coast around Durian Bay to inland just short of Mora and has had an agricultural history that is as patchy as its soil types. Kingsley and Christine Smith filled me in on the local conditions They explained their farm is land that was initially taken up as grazing country. Christine said, we like to say there is sand plain country or plain sand country. That's farmer humour. And of course, the latter is what you get closer to the coast. As grazing country, the sand plain zones have had their problems. A couple of local plants cause death if ingested by non-native grazers. A small prickly box and champion bay poison which is a pea flower containing the acid that is a key component of 1080 poison, created huge problems for settlers trying to build sheep flocks in the early years of white occupation. Today, any movement of stock along roadsides or uncleared land has to be monitored for danger to the herd. The Shire also boasts areas of highly desirable red loam country, These acres were swiftly taken up in the early days of white occupation as people spread northwards from the Swan and Avon Valleys. In the 1950s, when new understanding about trace elements emerged, people started seeing potential for the sand plain country as cropping land. The sand plains, it was discovered, were deficient in three crucial trace elements, zinc, molybdenum and copper. Once this was known, a whole new generation of farmers started to radiate out from the wheat belt to try their hand at cropping. One of these young men was Charles Williams. Kingsley and Christina got an insight into their farm's ecological history when Charles visited last year. He was the man who sold the farm to Kingsley's parents in 1973. Now in his 80s, he was drawn back to the district for the 50th reunion of the footy club and was delighted that Kingsley invited him for a look around. Charles toured the property and was able to confirm that in his time, from 1950 to 1970, when the land was first cleared of its natural cover, mainly low prickly heath, there was no visible cap rock. Over the course of the day, the Smiths received first-hand confirmation of what they already knew, 
that over the decades their practices had helped to strip fertility from the land. Christine said that for some years they grew subterranean clover for seed. It was a profitable enough enterprise financially. They are now aware of the ecological costs to the land of a cropping and grazing system that bared the land over summer and left burrs in the ground to be dug up by sheep, further exposing the soil. The hole was exacerbated by set stocking, practices encouraged by the ag standards of the time. Charles's gentle observations about a more productive landscape had given power to this desire to capture carbon and restore fertility. It's often the women on the farm who find the space and curiosity to search out new ways of doing things, and Christine has long been interested in the more nature-based farming methods. As a biological approach to soils started to gain momentum with growers across WA, Christine helped set up a group called Soil Restoration Farming. Their aim was to share information about the new science of biological farming through grassroots networks in workshops and forums across the wheat belt. This group eventually evolved into Regen WA that operates as an information hub within Perth NRM, the Natural Resource Management Group. At the family farm, the Mount, Christine has been doing what she can to apply this new learning with help from Kingsley and Wade, their son. As a family, they've struggled to work out a way to run the farm that best suits all of their interests and abilities. Progress has been complicated by the fact that Kingsley and Christine are theoretically nearing retirement age and there are long-running differences and tensions that need to be delicately handled to negotiate a process that will allow the farm and all who sail on her to thrive. So the road to regeneration can be fast in a biological sense, but human behaviour often ensures a longer and bumpier ride. Part of what drives Christine is her sense, her hope, that as the land heals, a similar healing can happen within her family. I reckon we need a dose of Dr Zach Bush here. He's big on the capacity for humans and the earth to self-heal. Zach made the leap from human health to caring for soil health and working with farmers when he realised you couldn't have one without the other. Intense study of the microbiome as it functions in people and the soil, in whole systems and in the laboratory, has convinced him that when humans cease damaging themselves and their environment, it is possible to see healing happen faster than injury. Zach calls this grace at the cellular level. And who are we to argue with a doctor who has such a handle on the deep mysteries of life? Christine's networking skills and determined perseverance have seen her garner some support in her community. The Smiths were quick to respond to the opportunity offered by the Dandarigan Shire when they invited submissions from landowners willing to trial whole-of-landscape management practices. So the Smiths secured 10000 bucks from this grant to fund a demonstration of Peter Andrews' catchment rehydration approach. They hired a team led by landscape consultancy company Tierra Australia in partnership with Rod O'Brie of Yanjet Farm. Rod and Tim agreed to undertake analysis of the catchment functions on the Smiths farm and design the placement of earthworks in the landscape to better manage the flow of rainfall. Groundworks to be followed up by the planting of perennial pastures, native fodder shrubs and other vegetation which will benefit from the additional moisture supply. 
The grant covers field days geared towards introducing interested farmers to concept involved in fixing landscape water functions. Tim and Rod are also conducting a catchment function analysis of the whole Minulo catchment. This analysis could potentially form the basis of a whole catchment rehydration plan with the mount as the test farm. Tierra Australia is exploring new business models where whole landscapes can be restored using income from carbon and natural capital credits. Peter Andrews' system is based on holding rainfall for longer and higher in the landscape, the spreading water from creeks back onto the slopes and restoring a chain of ponds along the valley floors. Peter's work is widely known through his four episodes on ABC's Australian Stories and his books, Back from the Brink and Beyond the Brink. Rod O'Brien has been using Peter's approach for 10 years on his farm Yanjet, 28 kilometres east of Geraldton. Yanjet Farm covers what historically used to be some of the most desirable grazing and cropping land near Geraldton. By the time Rod got there in 2009, the grandeur was somewhat faded, its rolling hills were bare, the creeks were gouged by rain and crops were the result of intense applications of chemical weed killers, pesticides and fertilisers. Yanjet is actually a local Aboriginal word for bulrushes. The tubers were a major food source for autumn carbohydrates and although they were gone, the memory of ecologically rich waterways could still be traced in the gently undulating landscape. Soon after taking on the farm, Rod watched a big rain event sweep sediment off his land and charge down eroded creek beds heading for Champion Bay. A day later, none of the water remained on his farm. This was a turning point for Rod and his family. They decided to move away from conventional farming systems. A chance meeting, brought on by a shared love of horses, brought Peter Andrews into his orbit. Tim Wiley, an agronomist of 25 years standing in the West Midlands, came to a field day conducted by Peter at Yanjit in the early days and became convinced these techniques could restore ecosystem functions across landscapes. Tim, in turn, introduced Rod to Peter Burgess, director of Tierra Australia, and a new force was let loose in the world of agriculture. There is a magic that happens when farmers start working with whole systems, a point when the whole becomes way more than the sum of the parts. And over the years, Rod's lands had responded to the moisture he has captured. The Yangets have returned, and there has been exponential regrowth as the soil is rebuilt. Nature has cycled through sequences of plants, from tough prickly pioneer shrubs and weeds to annuals and sweet grasses, until finally we're starting to see the native perennials, once the glory and salvation of this land in the dry season, returning. Tim and Rod are keen to bring young local indigenous people on board and are working with the Batavia Coast Maritime Institute at the Geraldton TAFE to set up a training course. As I record this story in late June, the first group has just started working towards their Cert II in conservation and land management the hands-on training at Yanjet under Elder Clint Hansen. First principle in the whole of landscape approach is to slow the movement of water across the land by putting in interventions at key points. Understanding where to place these interventions is key, 
but with trial and error, Rod got a handle on the interplay of water and earth and quickly started seeing results from fairly inexpensive methods. By mimicking nature's own processes, not being afraid to fail, and being prepared to fine-tune as changes occur, Rod started to learn how to read water as it co-creates land. As the seasons rolled by, he kept grazing animals on the job to help with the regenerative process and to ensure Yanjet had an income while the land began to heal. Now, ten years on at Yanjet, with every rain event, the pools last longer and the small amount of water that leaves the property is clean, a gift to the fishing industry. Rod has taken Peter Andrews' principles and made them his own and is keen to share and expand his knowledge with other farmers. Rod also runs an independent food distributing business in WA and is developing supply chains where local foods are sold into butcher shops, restaurants, hotels and independent supermarkets. He's supplying meat from his own and other local farms to outlets in Geraldton and will be working with Tierra Australia to develop supply chains for food that is accredited as carbon neutral with positive environmental impacts. On January 21 in 2020, Mount Misery was clothed again in its natural greens, which is the low prickly heath. And Rod and Tim, with two young trainees, arrived in Dandarrigan to start constructing the groundworks. Previous to this, Tim had spent time poring over satellite images of the space to work out the lay of the land and get an idea of how to site the earthworks in the context of the farm and in the broader context of the Irwin catchment. Wade, Christine and Kingsley's son had spent time in the shed prepping the front loader to be hauled into service to create the earthworks. He was ready to go. They bought a laser level with them and worked as a team across the paddocks, directing Wade on his machine to create the depressions in the earth and shape the mounds, checking levels to get maximum effect from water movement. In some of the eroded spots, it was decided that vegetation, debris or rocks would be enough to shore up a bank or create what's known as a leaky weir, and the young men did the work. It took two days to complete the placing of earth interventions as they moved from the base of Mount Misery, following a major eroded area zigzagging down through the paddock. Throughout these two days, some of the local farmers and shire members dropped in to inspect the work and have a chat with the team. It hasn't been a great season so far, but the Smiths have been delighted to watch plants germinate in response to miserly rainfalls in patches that have for years been the domain of shifting sand. The worst weeds have come first, in this case, capeweed. Worse in one sense, but the best in an ecological sense, as the despised weed is always the fastest and cheapest way to assist building soil where interventions in the land have allowed water to remain. This, of course, is the weed's superpower, to be pioneers in poor soils, to grow fast, set seed fast and die fast, is not generally acknowledged in conventional farming circles. Many people interested in Peter Andrews' work have been brought up short in the face of his enthusiasm for weeds as nature's healing response. But weeds do create the conditions for their own displacement. The more plant cover means more carbon captured through photosynthesis and more debris and water is trapped, which means more soil is built. As the fertility grows, conditions change and different seeds are encouraged to germinate. 
Each plant adds its own particular footprint in terms of microbial action and gradually the underground fauna starts to build. These aglands often still hold surprising seed biodiversity. It will be interesting to see what emerges as the seasons roll on. The smiths will value add the process by spraying a bit of microbial juice around and even adding seed, mixtures of grasses, annual herbs, forbs, legumes, perennials, etc. And then let the biodiversity work itself out. Just add water. In the last podcast, Relaxing with Sheep, I extolled the virtues that attend a well-considered grazing chart, one of the tools of holistic management. The Smiths have fallen under the influence of someone well-versed in these and other tools and are finding new ease and pleasure in their work on the farm. So I asked Christine, what are you doing that's different? Christine sent me back a long reply. In the past, we've followed set stocking, where you leave a mob of sheep in the same paddock for an extended period, only shifting when the feed becomes really short. Kingsley will often say we have to eat the paddock down, meaning not let weeds get away. But by keeping feed short, it also keeps the root system of the plant short, which leads to compaction and often bearing of the ground. We've engaged someone to advise us on rotational grazing methods and to help end the conflict between myself and Kingsley. One, we're learning how to use a grazing chart, which is understanding the feed capacity of each paddock, how long to keep the mob in a paddock by using visual and measuring means, recording the rainfall and having a running tally of the previous year's rainfall. That's to do with subsoil moisture. We will keep a fencing program going that gives us smaller paddocks and we'll also be using a mobile electric fence to gain that same advantage. We will explore all our production costs to decide the most economical timing for the lambing. And the grazing chart will also be our guide as to when to sell off sheep or buy sheep in. The motto of our advisor is become a grass farmer and everything else will follow. So this method also reduces input costs because we're using large mobs of sheep to trample and manure paddocks while grazing for shorter, more intense periods. This leaves at least one third of the grass still standing when shifting out of paddock and reduces the use of other products, fertilisers, etc. Water is the number one key to running a sound system, so this rehydration work is key. This will probably be our main focus along with fencing and farm design to continue to improve shelter belts for biodiversity and protection of stock and pasture. And then there's feed strategies. Like yesterday, after a discussion, Kingsley decided to buy in more feed barley for the lambing use to give them energy because they have so many twins at foot. Plus, we'll continue a salt molasses lick if we're able to get the molasses. Apparently, this has high calcium, which pregnant and lactating ewes need. And because sheep are worth so much money, it's worth going the extra miles to get it right. Our advisors suggest that at the moment, we have very small mobs in suitable lambing paddocks for ease of mothering while trail feeding. That means we'll have large paddocks locked off for when lambing is finished so we can then merge mobs and start rotational grazing. So, so far our lambing is going well with minimal loss of ewes and lambs compared to past years. I can keep a close eye on each mob and quickly pick up if something's not right when they're in smaller groups. 
to date, the short time we have had a consultant has improved Kingsley and my working relationship and Wade is getting comfortable chatting to him about cropping and management issues. Christine ended her email with a big tick for the decisions her family has made about the running of the farm. It is so good to feel confident in decisions made around the sheep. I'm more relaxed and more productive as I'm simply not worrying about unnecessary issues. More amazing stories of people being relaxed by sheep. And the Smiths haven't changed what they do. They just seem to have got clearer about what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve as individuals and as a team. Having an outside voice, and they clearly all trust this man, has enabled the Smiths to start singing from the same hymn book. Back to the water function story. On February 27th this year, a month after Rod and Tim finished the earthworks, a field day was held on the mount. Members of the Shire of Dandarrigan arrived with a small band of local producers and a mixed mob from Perth, and the theory behind the earthworks in the landscape was explained. Rod used a hose to give the audiences a practical demo of how water flows and co-creates land. Tim handled questions from the audience. Shire President Leslie Holmes was present at this field day and excited by what she witnessed. In her words, all of the attendees were impressed by the simplicity of this event and understood how this could change the way we think about water. The proof will be in the pudding. A couple of serious downfalls of rain will see the making of this project. Let's give the Smiths a season or two. Down the track, I'll try and fill you in on the story as it unfolds on the Smiths family farm. Thanks for listening.